What is it about Noah, Seth, Jacob, Joseph, Ephraim, and all these other Bible characters, Moses? What is it about them that God saw them and picked them? I mean, he could have picked anyone. But why did he go for these men? Why did he go for Peter or John or Paul, the apostle? What is it that causes God to decide, I want this one? What is it about these people? You see, it's so interesting because when we look at the people that God picks, like Jonah, all these guys, it doesn't make sense. Why would he go for someone who doesn't even want to do it? He goes for the people who try to run away or says that I can't speak well enough or, or oh, the, the world, they, 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 why me, God? These people that don't want it are the ones that he picks. Why? I'm going to submit to you that there are a few reasons. One of which is that God loves to make a fool of the world because the world would go and they would pick this guy with amazing speech. And, you know, he had a rich father, a really high status family, whatever the case is. And he wants to go and the world would say, oh, well, you know, that's the guy who should do it like Korah. The story of Korah, we see that this leadership of Korah rises up against Moses and the people say, well, Korah is a much better leader because he looks like a better leader. But when we look from the outside, yeah, that's that's the judgment we make. But God looks at the heart and he looks deeper. And so we pick up the story where Joseph's children are being blessed by Israel or or Jacob. And I want to remind you of Joseph because Joseph was this man. He was a favorite of, of, of his father, Jacob. But he was, it was a lot of jealousy around Joseph because he was the youngest. He wasn't the, uh, the eldest because you see in the culture, in the Hebrew culture of the day, the biblical times, we have this idea that the firstborn is the one that receives the biggest blessings. And the blessings, the inheritance was the greatest on the firstborn. But we see that God doesn't always work that way. God is sometimes just like we discussed of all these men that were kind of least and God used them. God in this story, you does the same thing because now Joseph, we see him was he was picked by God, even though his brothers sold him into slavery, his brothers kicked him out of the house, if you will. He was then taken up and esteemed in Egypt, became um, Pharaoh's right hand guy, and he was the one who actually saved most of Egypt because God came and showed him a dream that a lot of uh, there's going to come a, uh, a famine on Egypt. And Joseph had the know-how and the revelation to prepare for it. And with that, he was elevated to be the savior, if you will, of, of Egypt. But now we have this, we pick up where, where Joseph has now been re, re, reunited with his father and he finally, He's, he's found his father, Jacob, who he's been apart from for many years. And now he asks his father, Jacob, to bless his children. And like I said, this blessing is a massive ordeal. 
Because now grandpa is going to place his hands on the his right hand on the first board and left hand on the second board. That's usually how things go. And he is going to pronounce a blessing over these children. And see, just this proclamation, never mind inheritance or possessions or, or things like that. But there was a the blessing of a man laying hands on his children or his grandchildren was so incredibly important for them because they understood that there is power. They understood that there is authority in that. And so they that's why we'll now see Joseph values this immensely. And we read the following. Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, blessed the boy. And in them, let my name be carried on. And in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know he also shall become a people and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. You see, we see here that things don't go according to the plan of Joseph. Joseph desired things to go the normal route of let the firstborn receive the right hand blessing, the firstborn blessing. But Israel or Jacob was convinced differently in his heart. The father has worked something in his heart to do something else. And what he did was he crossed his hands. And as he crossed his hands, he put his right hand on the second born Ephraim and his left hand on Manasseh, the firstborn. And this is the first picture of how things don't go according to how the world always desires it to go. The, the world expects Manasseh to receive this firstborn blessing. In other words, Manasseh is going to be used by God more mightily. This is really where it's coming down to is, is what, what, what Joseph would, under, would think. But God says, no, I would like to rather have Ephraim blessed as the firstborn, and I want to do greater things in the life of Ephraim. And so we see this common trend in many cases. All the way when we look back in the garden, we see Seth being blessed instead of his older brothers, Cain and Abel. We see Isaac being blessed instead of his brother Ishmael. We see Jacob being blessed instead of his brother Esau. We see all of these examples. It, it's, it's almost like almost every single generation, almost all the way back to the garden. It's not the firstborn who's getting the blessing, despite that men are trying to make it happen that way, despite that that is the expectation. At the end of the day, it seems that God just does things differently. And then we come all the way down to, to Joseph 
who gets the blessing instead of his brothers who try to get rid of him. And now we see Joseph's children as well with Ephraim instead of Manasseh. So we need to ask the question of why? What is it about these men, these second born or third born or fourth born? What is it about these guys that God looked at them and he said, I want this one instead of the firstborns? I'm going to submit to you. It comes down to one simple thing. Character. And we see this being talked about over and over and over again by our Messiah, Jesus or Yeshua. He says the following. He says in Matthew 5 verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of the heavens. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, because they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they shall be filled. Blessed are the compassionate, because they shall obtain compassion. Blessed are the clean in heart, because they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the per- those persecuted for righteousness sake, because theirs is the reign of the heavens. The poor and spur, those who mourn the least. In other words, those who are humble, those are the ones that God blesses. You see, it's for him. God isn't concerned with your status and what the world thinks of you, whether you are rich or poor or whether you have a, a big status in your family or whether you know, you're in, come from this or that country or whether whatever kind of metric of ranking this world will place on you. God is not concerned. All he is concerned about is your heart, your character. What are you inside? Because see, you can be all pretty and adorned on the outside, have a big smile on your face, but dirty on the inside, self-exalting. You can be prideful, seeking God's things for your own exaltation instead of the only the exaltation of his kingdom. You see, Yeshua has a special place in his heart for the least. He actually tells us further that whatever you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. So he is saying that whatever you do to the poor and the meek and the humble, the lost, the contrite and hard, all these people, these the, the meek of the earth, the salt of the earth, whatever you do unto these, the least of these, you do unto him. You see, in that moment, in the saying of Yeshua there, he is connecting himself with these people. He is saying, I, ha- I connect with them. I have relationship with them. I- they are like part of me. And he's saying, then what you do to them, you do unto me. Because see, he died for them. He died for the meek. The lowly and hard, those who say, oh, God, I am hungry and I hunger and thirst for righteousness. God, you need to come and fill me up with you. Those are the guys, the ones he died for. And so he's saying that, listen, if you do something unto them, it's like me being on the cross and you doing that unto me because I died for them. And see, if you do not care for them, if you do not bless them, everything that I did, everything that Yeshua did is trampled upon because he died for them to be free. 
And if we don't bring them freedom, but instead oppress them, if we don't feed the poor, but instead look down upon them, if we toss aside the widow, the orphan, the lonely heart, the lost, the drug addict, etc., these, those who are maybe lost, but who are hungry, if we toss them aside, we make null and void all that Yeshua did because he did it for them. He said, I did not come for the righteous. I don't come for the guy who's perfect. I didn't come for the man who has everything. I came for the man who lacks the meek, the lost and hungry. And this is why it is so incredibly important as believers that we pick up our cross and look after these people, the ones that Messiah came for. He also went on to say later, I don't come but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, let's just think about this for a second. Why did he use this analogy? Why did he call them lost sheep? Because see, when a sheep gets lost, Right. A sheep. How does a sheep get get lost? He he starts dwelling. He starts looking and he gets distracted and the sheep starts dwelling off away from his shepherd and the sheep is in the field. He's in the rocks. He goes into the cliffs and he gets lost. But the sheep in the heart of the sheep, the sheep simply desires now to return to the master. The sheep doesn't want to stay away because they, he gets distressed. He is lost. In other words, he is he is for oh, where is my shepherd? Where is how do I return to my flock? How, how do I get back to my family? How do I get back to the kingdom, if you will? And see, the shepherd comes and he finds the sheep and restores the sheep back to where he belongs. But see, the point is, is that when a sheep is lost, a sheep doesn't just run off and, oh, I'm going to, I'm, I'm just going to rebel. I'm just going to run off. I'm not going to, I don't even want to come back. No, when a sheep gets lost along the way, he looks back and he searches for a master. And he says, where is my master? Where is my shepherd? How can I return? And that's the people that God desires. You see, when you look at the guys that God used in the Bible, they all had issues. They all were lost in some ways. Noah was a drunkard. We see Joseph had pride when he went to, to boast against his brothers. We see all of these guys, Adam and Eve, they were not perfect at all. Seth was not perfect either. Everyone that, that God used mightily, they weren't perfect. They were in some form at some point, one point or another, they were lost sheep. But see, they desired, even though they were lost, even though they made many mistakes, they desired the father. But God said, I want him. Because his heart is towards me, even if his actions aren't at this moment. He's desiring to follow me, even though his flesh is weak. Like Paul said, my spirit is strong, my flesh is weak. Oh, God, help me. You see, that's what this all comes down to is we how while we can have many mistakes, while we can not, we are not, we have we have many imperfections. The difference between Jacob and Esau was that Esau didn't desire his birthright. He sold what God has called him to, to his brother, while his brother was eager to do all that God calls upon his life. You see, there's the difference. His brother was even in the acquisition of that birthright. Jacob was very wrong. He deceived his brother. 
But still, his desire was right in that his desire was the kingdom of God and the callings of God, the promise of God of multiplication, the promise made to Abraham before them. And so this all talks to how we have to have our heart inclined to God and we have to have mercy on those whose hearts are inclined to God, even though their actions aren't there yet, even though they made tons of mistakes, even though they even though they hurt people around them or whatever the case is. And we shouldn't be too quick to judge, because if we were to place ourselves in that picture, that story of of uh, of, of, of around Joseph while Joseph was bragging around his family and saying, oh, you know, you guys were all bowing down before me. Or if we're going to go to the place where Jacob stole Esau's birthright by deceiving Esau, we would, we, if we were in that position and looking and seeing this happen, we would say, oh, these people, they're so lost. They will never inherit the kingdom of God. Never. See, that's why we need to be slow to pass this kind of judgment, because they were the ones, the patriarchs, the ones that God used so mightily that if it wasn't for how they submitted their hearts to God, me and you may not be standing here today saying we believe. You see, there is there is something much deeper that the father sees in a person than what we see with our fleshly eyes. There is something much deeper. And with that, we must humble up. We need to be careful to pass judgment on any kind of anyone, any leader or anyone, even if we don't agree with their theology, even if we don't agree with, with what they say, we must be careful because God may just see something way deeper that we are blind to. And what happens next in the story of Joseph and his children is, is incredibly profound because see, we see Jacob or renamed to Israel starts passing away. Joseph's father starts passing away. And now Joseph's brothers, the ones who betrayed Joseph and sold him into slavery, they are now nervous because they're afraid that Joseph will destroy and kill him because his father is now out of the picture and his father isn't, won't see it happen. And they bring Joseph a message. They say, Joseph, this is what your father told you about us. And they say the following, this is, what you are, this is what Jacob said you are to say to Joseph. I beg you, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. And please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And his brothers went and fell down before his face. And they said, see, we are your servants. And Joseph said, do not fear for am I in the place of God? And you, you indeed, you intended evil against me, but God intended it for good in order to do it as it is this day to keep a great many people alive. And now do not fear. I provide for you and your little ones. So I comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You see, he says, am I in the place of God? Joseph says, am I in the place where I can pause this judgment upon you? And you know what? We, a lot of times we'd say, oh, no, no, no. But well, Joseph's brothers, they deserve anything. I mean, they deserve death for what they did to Joseph. They threw him into a pit. They sold him into slavery. They deceived him from the beginning to the end. They tried to murder him at some point even. And they lied to their father and saying he was devoured by wild beasts. All of this happened. And now Joseph just comes and he and he says 
I forgive you. I have nothing. How can I hold this against you? Because he understands judgment is up to God. Vengeance is up to God. But now not only that, it's not just a thing of, oh, you know, God will judge you. No, he takes a step back. He forgives in his heart because then he says, oh, and by the way, I am going to provide for you guys and your families. Even though you did all that to me, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to give you the riches of this earth. The riches entrusted to me by Pharaoh is yours. I'm going to give you lands and places where you can come and stay close to me because I love you. This is incredible, brothers and sisters. You know what this is a picture of? It's a picture of Yeshua, Jesus, what he would do, he did for us later. We see how he came, just like Joseph. Remember, Joseph was sent by God, even though his brothers intended evil against him by putting him in the pit and then selling him into slavery, trying to get rid of him. The same thing. We try to get rid of Yeshua. We try to get rid of Jesus by putting him on that cross and trying to kill him when we we didn't succeed. You know, we tried to, but we didn't succeed. Joseph's brothers, they tried to, but they didn't succeed. We intended evil against Jesus. They intended evil against their brother, but there was a resurrection. Yeshua was resurrected and he was, he was put up to, at the right hand of his father. Joseph similarly was resurrected, if you will, and put hand at the right hand of the kingdom of Egypt. He was, he was placed in this powerful position and Joseph was then given a dream by God and he was able to save all of Egypt, including his brothers from the famine because he prepared beforehand. Similarly, Yeshua saves us from the plagues of Egypt, from all the curses, from eternal death and separation from God. And then Yeshua said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Because see, Yeshua understood that his father, Father God in the heavens, desired for him to forgive the ones who put him on the cross. And it's exactly what Joseph's father did. Jacob told Joseph, Joseph, do not hold this against your brothers. You need to forgive them. This is what I expect of you on my deathbed. And so see, God expected out of Yeshua. And that is why Yeshua did the same. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And then we see God expect that of us. He says, now you need to imitate Yeshua. You need to walk as he walked. And that includes you need to forgive your enemies. Those who come against you, you need to turn the other cheek and let them hit you here too. You need to come up and let them Let them persecute you. Let them do that for that is my character. That is the character of Yeshua, of Jesus. And that is the character that God uses to accomplish his will. You see, Joseph was chosen for this reason. None of his brothers would do what he would be able to do. To stand before his brothers on this day and say, brothers, I have now full authority and power to be able to pass judgment on you, but I withhold it and I forgive you for everything you did against me. Not only that, I will provide for your families. I will love you. So see, it was not just a face. It wasn't just a, oh yes, I forgive you. It was, I forgive you and I will provide for you. 
Yeshua, Jesus says the same, says, I forgive you. God says, I forgive you and I will provide for you, even though you put me on the cross, even though by your sins, I had to go and die. And we see this pattern over and over and over again. And God really uses this pattern to do something in us. You know, this persecution that Joseph had, you know, with him being thrown into a well and being sold into slavery and all these things. It was a part of the maturing process that grew him from that young boy who was so boastful against his brothers and parents to a man able to forgive and love in a way that Egypt or Israel has never seen before. You see, this persecution and this struggle was worth it for Joseph because he was made into the image of God. He was able to represent God well. And similarly, we see then these brothers, you know, they become the 12 tribes of Israel. They multiply in Egypt, but then Pharaoh later comes and he tries to destroy them. They are then sent out of Egypt. They go through the Exodus. There is a lot of persecution. There's all these things. But at the end of the road is the promised land. And those who make it through will inherit the promised land. Because see, and if you make it through to the promised land, you will be, your character will be built incredibly by the tribulation trials you face throughout life. And also, you will inherit the blessings. All the blessings that came with Joseph, inheritance, Joseph's inheritance, he inherited. And so we can do the same if we pursue God, if we believe, if we run after him, if we don't complain, if we don't give up, if we don't throw up our hands in the air and say, oh God, why do you do this to me, God? Though you hate me? No. You see, there was a position on, uh, positioning of Joseph's heart that was, Father, I know things are going hard, but I know you are there. And even in that prison, he was still doing the work of God by interpreting the dreams of the baker and the wine bearer. You see, he never gave up, even though things were so difficult. And so Yeshua, Jesus calls you to that this, the same today. He says, follow me. My yoke is easy, but you need to understand it's going to be a hard road still. This world will persecute you. This world will hate you for my name's sake. Follow me and lay everything down of this world. And then you will inherit eternal life. You see, the price to get Yeshua, the price for Jesus is your life. It's not totally free. You need to give him your life. But when we do that, he gives himself to us in a way where we are actually made to look more like him. And that is the biggest blessing of them all. To be able to stand like Joseph one day and say to your enemies, you have hated me. You have thrown me into pits. You have sold me into slavery. You have raped me. You have molested me. You have murdered my family. You have, can I even think of greater sins, done this to me. Yet I forgive you with a pure heart. Today, that is what God calls you to. I encourage you to now after this video, go and get silent before God and, and lift up your enemies, lift up the ones who hate and persecute you, the ones who throw you, you into pits, the ones who sold you into slavery, the ones who try and oppress you. Lift them up in prayer and forgive them. 
because it is time today to do so. It is an expectation of God on us to do so. It's not something we do tomorrow or the day thereafter. It is something for this very moment. Before you enter into this 2018, 2019 year, go and do this. It is time for a new season in your life. A time where you don't hold on to all these things holding you back because get what that, that unforgiveness and all that stuff. It's just going to hold you back. It's just going to curse you. It's just going to, if Joseph did not forgive them, he would fail God. Think about that for a second. If Joseph did not forgive his brothers who did these incredibly bad things to him, he would fail God because he would fail to be an image and a prophetic picture of what Yeshua would later be, the one who forgives the world. He would also just fail God because in his age and everyone around him who was watching him, this man who calls on Yahweh, he would fail God if he misrepresented God by saying, I will not forgive you because God commanded him to, God desired him to, and spoke through Jacob, his father, to instruct him to. It is time to let go so you can be made more into his image. But you cannot look more like Yeshua if you hold on to the evil of the enemy wants you to hold on to. That evil that, oh, I need to judge. It's not up to you. Let God do the work. Let God be the judge. You go and you sit back and you bless. Bless your enemies and turn the other cheek. May God bless you and keep you. Shalom. Shalom.